0: Section 27 of Volume 1 of Symbolism by Johann Adam Moeller, translated by James Burton Robertson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Subheading 19. Survey of the Differences in the Doctrine of Faith. We will now endeavor briefly to state the points of agreement and of divergence in the article of faith. They are as follows. 1. If quote-unquote faith be taken in an objective sense, that is to say, as an establishment instituted by God in Jesus Christ, in opposition to Moseism, or any human and arbitrary system of religion, and the modes of thinking, feeling, and acting which such prescribe, then the Catholic can, without restriction, assert, it is by faith alone man is able to acquire God's favor. There is no other name given to men, whereby they may be saved, save Christ Jesus alone, and it is only through the mercy of God we say this name is given, consequently without any merit on the part of mankind in general, or of any individual man in particular. 2. The divergence commences only when the objective must be subjective, when the question regards the conditions under which the institution of salvation is to conduce towards our personal salvation. But here, also, each confession teaches that man should adhere to Christ and enter into a spiritual connection with him in order to partake of the blessings preferred through and in him. But the Catholic says if this adherence be a mere connection of ideas, an empty union of feelings or fantasy with Christ, a mere theoretical faith in him, a mere recognition of Christian truths in opposition to works wrought in the vital communion of the will with Christ as well as to the love engendered by faith and to all other virtues, then this faith is in itself by no means sufficient to render men acceptable to God, or to justify. But if faith, on the other hand, be understood as a new divine sentiment, regulating the whole man as the new living spirit, fides formata, then to this alone, even according to the Catholic system, is the power given to make us the children of God, and heirs of eternal happiness, for, in this sense, faith alone embraces everything. But let it be observed that by the Catholic Church, sacred charity is regarded as the substantial form of faith which alone justifies, not as a consequence, as a fruit in expectancy, but which, perhaps, may never come forth. Love must already vivify faith before the Catholic Church will say, that through it man is really pleasing unto God. Faith and love, and love and faith, justify. They form here an inseparable unity. This justifying faith is not merely negative, but positive with all. Not merely a confidence that, for Christ's sake, the forgiveness of sins will be obtained, but a sanctified feeling, in itself agreeable to God. Charity is, undoubtedly, according to Catholic doctrine, a fruit of faith, but faith justifies only when it has brought forth this fruit. Faith is also, in our view, a vivifying principle, but it obtains for us the favor of God only when it has already unfolded its vivifying power. 3. The justifying subjective faith in the Protestant sense is described not merely as a recognition of the New Testament revelation, but as an assurance of the divine grace in Christ Jesus, as confidence in the merits of the Redeemer, by the power whereof sins are forgiven, and this confidence is held up as being able, abstractedly and entirely of itself, to win for its possessor the favor and friendship of the Almighty. This consciousness of the divine favor must see charity and good works in its train, but as by their presence the latter contribute not towards justification so by their absence they take nothing from the state of the justified. Here, accordingly, charity is not regarded as the substantial form of the alone justifying faith. Man is already justified, so soon as he confides in Christ. The seed is sown for heaven, and brings us thither, even when, under favorable circumstances, as, for instance, the sluggishness of the will and the like, it bears absolutely no fruit, Thus the Protestant doctrine excludes works wrought before as well as after conversion to Christ, and, moreover, all holy sentiments, when it attributes to faith alone the power of saving. A doctrine which we may say, in passing, is not even the very slightest foundation in Scripture. Of such an opposition between faith, charity, and works, Paul did not even once think, and James is absolutely opposed to it. See subheading 22. Subheading 20. On the Assurance of Justification and Eternal Felicity. The opinion that the believer must be perfectly convinced of his justification before God and of his future felicity is so closely connected with the doctrine of faith in the Protestant system that Melanchthon says of the schoolmen who deny it, quote, We see clearly from this alone how utterly devoid of intellect this species of men are, unquote the close connection of this position with the whole Protestant system is undeniably clear. We have before observed that, from the doctrine of the total extirpation of all seeds of good out of the human breast, one advantage in regard to Christian life might be gained, that man, so soon as he perceived any little sparks of a higher life within him, might be well assured that God had begun his work of redemption, which would be as certainly consummated, Subheading 6. Secondly, that theory of faith according to which men are to direct their view towards God's mercy and to turn it away from their own moral state necessarily involves the opinion we have advanced. Moreover, this assurance of salvation presupposes absolute predestination in the doctrine that God's grace works only in the elect. For if man can at any time repel the grace once felt, then by the very idea of this possibility, the sense of certitude is at once shaken. Hence, it is only by the Calvinists this doctrine hath been carried out to its full extent, while on the part of the Lutherans it betrays that original adherence to the principles of predestination, which in other matters also have left traces of their influence, and the later rejection whereof has so materially impaired the internal harmony of their system. Catholics, from opposite reasons, believe not that a quite unerring certitude of salvation can be acquired, as they consider not fallen man to be devoid of all moral and religious qualities and signs of life, they are unable to discover a criterion absolutely beyond the reach of illusion, whereby they can distinguish between the operations of grace and the effects of those feelings in man akin to the deity, and uneradicated by his fall but even if they were fortunate enough to possess such a criterion, the confidence built thereon would be again damped by the remembrance of the doctrine of human and divine cooperation in the second birth and its consummation, and be reduced to a more modest tone. For, together with the deepest confidence in God's mercy, Catholics are taught, by reason of those humiliating experiences which we all make in the course of our lives to entertain a great distrust of human fidelity, and an absolute predestination that would bid them overlook such scruples, is rejected by their church. Thus the Catholic Christian, without a false security, yet full of consolation, calm, and entirely resigned to the divine mercy, awaits the day on which God shall pronounce his final award. The avowals of Calvin in this matter are very remarkable as well as the strenuous exertions he must have recourse to, in order to awaken in the souls of his disciples the desired assurance. He observes that no temptation of Satan is more dangerous than when he seduces believers to doubt of the certainty of their salvation, and tempts them to seek the same in evil ways. To this he subjoins the remark that such temptations are the more dangerous, because to none are the generalities of men more inclined than to these. Rarely do we find a man whose soul is not at times disturbed by the thought, quote, Nowhere is the source of thy salvation to be found but in the divine election, but in what manner hath this election been revealed to thee? Unquote. This train of thought Calvin concludes with a proposition drawn from his own experience quote, When once such doubts have become habitual in anyone, then the unhappy man is either constantly tortured with dreadful anxiety, or entirely deprived of all consciousness, unquote. By this rash endeavor to obtain the assurance of our future salvation, various kinds of superstition, as well as a distracting uncertainty, were occasioned, so that the very contrary to Calvin's wishes occurred. And it soon became manifest that the effects of an unnatural desire were ever pernicious. With sin, and the combat against sin, came the restlessness of the Spirit, the latter never capable of being stilled till the former had ceased to exist. Undoubtedly, according to the sentence of the Apostle, the Spirit testifies to the Spirit that we are the children of God. But this testimony is of so delicate a nature, and must be handled with such tender care, that the Christian, in the feeling of his unworthiness and frailty, approaches the subject only with timidity. And scarcely ventures to take cognizance of it. It is a holy joy which would fain conceal itself from its own view and remain a mystery to itself. And the more exalted the Christian stands, the more humble is he, and the less is he disposed, without an extraordinary revelation, to vaunt of a certainty which so little accords with the uncertainty and mutability of all earthly things. The higher the duties which the Catholic Church imposes on man, the more obvious the reason whereof she acknowledges no absolute certainty of salvation. And herein precisely we must look for the motive of her teaching, that the believer can and must become worthy of salvation, while yet she denies the certainty thereof. Whereas the Protestants, who assert that man can in no wise become worthy of heaven, exert their utmost endeavors to call forth such a sense of security. Moreover, in many other cases of spiritual life, it is the same as with the point in question. The innocence that would become conscious of itself is usually lost by that very act, and the reflection whether the act we are about to perform be really pure makes it not unfrequently impure. Hence the Savior saith, quote, Let not thy right hand know what thy left doeth, unquote. Joyful yet full of sorrow, Calm and without precipitancy, the true saints pursue their way. They boast not on that account of being in the number of the elect, but resign their fate to God. According to the Protestant theory, everyone should be asked what he thought of himself, and he must, in his own life, be regarded as a saint. A doubt of others as to the truth of his own declaration would invalidate the doctrine of the symbolical books as if in irony of their own doctrine, the Protestants would recognize no saints. I think that, in the neighborhood of any man who would declare himself, under all circumstances, assured of his salvation, I should feel very uncomfortable, and should probably have some difficulty to put away the thought that something like diabolical influence was here at play. But the truth, which even this Protestant doctrine, darkly divine, must not be overlooked, it consists in the individualizing of evangelical truths, in pointing to the necessity of the personal application of them, and of the relation of the divine promises to ourselves, so that we should not regard them as undefined and as merely relative to others. End of section 27